Welcome, this is the Teaching Excellence Podcast for all things FE, teaching, learning, assessment, quality and possibly a few other things along the way. Hosted by Steph Wilkinson and Jade Gibson, leaders in FE who want to support others and make a difference and hopefully spread a little happiness whilst we're at it. Hello and welcome to the Teach Excellence podcast. Um, it's October already and tonight I am joined by Tony Davies and I'm really grateful that you've joined me, Tony. Hi, how are you? I'm very welcome. Thank, uh, very, 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 very well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Good, I'm glad. I um, I suppose I've all, we've, we've kind of always connected um, in, in spaces like Twitter, Twitter's the space I connect with lots of people and I've always had a bit of an eye on what you've been up to and um, yeah I know that we we have very similar sort of thinking on um, some things and I just wanted to get you on really to talk about some of the things that you're interested in at the minute but also just like think about the moment in time and where we are in a new academic year yeah. after you know, not really being in full-time, in college, in person, and now we are again. So um, how have you been? I've been very well indeed. And I, I have to say I've been loving this year uh, because there's, there, there was obviously the, the big hiatus last year where nobody quite knew what was going to happen. And it gave us all space to really reinvent the way we did things. Uh, you know, we all think we've, we've pretty much got under the... The skin of doing face-to-face -face teaching though you you never stop learning but suddenly when the the uh, the rug was pulled from under us all we suddenly had to reinvent uh, how we do things and i've just found the whole process of teaching online and then going back face to face over this last term and taking some of the tools that i've been exploring all year back into the classroom has just been a complete joy. I, I, I keep saying, so it's like an involuntary spasm now. I'm in pedagogy paradise with some of the tools that I've been using. They're just so f fantastic. Yeah, and I think it has been, um, it's been awesome, hasn't it? It's been really good just to have to think differently. And if you're someone like you and I, where we, we kind of really learn all the time about what's going on around us and think about how we can make things um, better or different. And like you say, the, there are tools now that we used online and actually they will really um, enrich the learning experience as well, taking them back into the classroom. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been fascinating. So what sorts of things have you been um, talking to people about recently? What are the big things that have come up for you in terms of uh, teaching and learning and innovation, I suppose? Well, over the last year, as I was going through the, that emotional roller coaster of your whole diary being wiped, then you're having to teach on a video editing platform, a video platform. You think, well, which do I use? So I tried Teams and absolutely hated it. And then I auditioned probably 30 different video teaching platforms and ended up on Zoom, as many people have. Mm -hmm. And then I remember being a delegate on my first Zoom uh, session. So I just wanted to sign up for anything to experience somebody else doing a Zoom session. And there was a good degree of anxiety, even though I'm a techie. Uh, there was a good degree of anxiety. This guy was talking about what, how he uses Zoom and he, he went so quickly 
that I didn't understand the vocabulary he was using. I kept having to pause him. <laughs> I hope other, other delegates on this session were, were thinking the same thing as me, but, uh, but, but of course I was doing all of that. Hang on a minute, what, what did you say then? And it was really interesting going through that emotional roller coaster as a learner, mm. uh, getting to grips with this new technology. So if we fast forward the year, I've just spent uh, a huge amount of time sifting through all of the, well, not all, but just hundreds of options for online learning and technologies. And I've come up with this really great handful, which I use in all my sessions. Um, one of the nice things, comments I'm getting in my sessions is about the technology I'm using, not just about the subject I might be teaching. And that's resulted in a session called Tools for Online and Blended Learning. And when we get into that session, the starting point for it is, are you, a tech nut, are you a tech nut or are you tech nervous? And I do a little poll just to see what the spread yeah. of emotions is like in the room. Uh, because I'm, I'm on the techie side, but my uh, dear wife, who's also a teacher, is very much down the other side. Mm -hmm. She wants to leave teaching because of the amount of technology that's coming into her world. She works with four and five year olds uh, because she just hates that world. And so that's the continuum we have to bear in mind whenever we're talking about technology or teaching with technology or teaching technology enhanced learning techniques, that there's this emotional journey that people are going on. And we don't know from face value where their starting point is on that journey. And so we have to understand what are the triggers for cognitive overload, which is what someone down the other end of the continuum might experience. And what excites people down the, you know, the tech nut end. And so that's been a real interesting uh, part of my work over this last 18 months, two years. In fact, actually, right back 34 years, 35 years that I've been in FE, is this, this emotional journey that people go on. Mm. And, and this year, um, I did a, a bit of a research project. Um, I, was, I was asked to... Um, do a session, uh, a, a series of four sessions actually for a work-based learning provider. And one of them was on learning theorists. And this was in support of the City and Guild's uh, teaching qualification. And I said, ah, no, I'm not your man for that. I'm sure I can recommend somebody else who, who might be interested in that, but I'm really not interested in that side of things. So uh, thanks ever so much for asking. And um, these were a really good clients who I've worked with a lot. And a few days later, I was sort of mulling over, thinking, have I made the right decision here? So what, let me try and understand why I didn't want to do a session on learning theorists. And it took me right back to the early 90s when I did my um, cert ed. And I remember the, the sessions on learning theorists, and it was like a, a history lesson. And I'm a musician, and I used to hate music history because it was always taught as a series of facts and figures you have to remember. Uh, I loved composing and performing and harmony and oral and all of the practical sort of subjects to do with music. Um, and so I'm thinking, well, I was taught it as a history, but actually, if I were to try and teach it as something other than a history, would I come out of it better? And so I phoned them up and said, do you know what, guy, are you, are you still looking, are you still hoping that <laughs> someone can do these sessions for you? And if so, can I have another go at it? Can I, can I say yes? And she said, oh, yes, yes, we're very pleased that you, you've come back to us. Yeah. So then I thought, well, I, don't, I know what I want to do, and I wanted to produce a gamification session mm -hmm. in which it, the result was um, people had a sweet shop of teaching strategies to choose uh, for a given purpose. That's what I wanted. But I didn't know enough about learning theorists 
uh, to be able to be be definitive about the content I was going to create. Yeah. So I put out a quick LinkedIn post and said, would anybody be interested in joining me on the de development of a gamification lesson on music theory, uh, on um, learning theory? Yeah. And there were over 60 people got in touch within, you know, a day, within 24 hours. I got 60 odd to choose from. But sadly, I only had two and a half weeks before the session. I, it was a really whistle stop bit of uh, writing. And so there were about 25 uh, said, yeah, we can join you and we can do it within the time scale that you've right. got. So I produced this gamification lesson and it's based on top trumps. And the thing about top trumps that's so wonderful for educators is it, the gamification, the game, the game playing produces the learning. And in a lot of gamification of lessons, the games check learning. So there's yeah. learning done and then they'll do it game or Kahoot quiz or Millionaire or Blockbuster or all of these sorts of things. And they just check recall. Now, if I have this rather this sort of um, uh, rude phrase, I say, for that type of stuff, it's really saying, can you remember what I've just damn well told you? Mm -hmm. if you can imagine the pedagogy. There's been a lot of stuff, a lot of facts <laughs> yeah. figures given. Let's have a game, see if you can remember any of it. Can you remember what I've just damn well told you? Yeah. And, and that's not what I'm interested in gamification. When, as soon as you have to create a hierarchy, then you have to read deeply. So mm -hmm. all you have to do to, to, to create a hierarchy is say which one's better. Mm -hmm. And, and in, they have to then reread these two things you're giving them to see which one is better. Well, if you think of what um, top trumps is, it's not only which is better, but it's on which category. And so a top trumps card will be unique and there'll be 50 odd of them. And there'll be a set of common categories, all of which have got different scores. And so you have to win by choosing the one with the highest score in a particular category, but you can't compare them against each other because they're not all out of 100. They're, they can be out of anything. You have to read the card deeply and think, well, this is good for note taking. This is good for the development of expert learning skills, or this is good for uh, critical reflection skills, or building resilience, or making them curious, or whatever the category might be. Yeah. So that was the structure, but yeah. I needed expert help to be able to, to, to come up with um, some uh, the content for all of these 50 cards. And so with learning theory, one of the things I, I hate about it, not just is that history side, but there's also, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Stephanie, but there's also seems to be a bit of an adversarial way of talking about learning theory. So along came the behaviorists and then the cognitivists came along and said, oh no, the behaviorists are wrong, we're right. And then the social constructivists came along and said, no, no, we're right. And then the connectivists <laughs> came along and said, we're not social constructivists, but, but they are really, well, at least I think they are. And so you've got all of this adversarial nature, people wrestling for whose theory is better. Mm. But as a musician, behaviorism is a really important tool in our toolkit. But mm. when you're teaching things like key signatures and some elements of harmony, you know that rote learning and re immediate response is really important. Mm. But social constructivism is as well for other elements. And so this all led me down a really interesting path. So something I'd been wanting to weld, and this is why I started by, of talking about the tools for all in, in, engagement and that emotional experience I'd been through, is if you don't get the emotional learning journey right, yeah. then content really hasn't got a great chance of sticking. 
And so what it what I did was I created something I call the teaching process map. Now I know uh, uh, people on the podcast won't be able to hear this, but I've got a few slides that I'm just going to use to to describe what this this is because there's a bit of provocation in here. Mm-hmm. So this is my teaching process map. Now, you know, from any map, you can go to anywhere from anywhere in any direction. And that's the wonderful thing about maps. They're they're not saying you should go from Leeds to Bradford this way. You can go any which way you like. But you can see in this graphic, it's a big pyramidal shape getting narrow at the top. There's a big arrow. The, 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 The graphic changes from a dark green to a light green. So everything would be suggesting you go from bottom to top on this teaching process map with these nine teaching process elements. And there is a logic. So here we go. We start with the learning culture. So Mm -hmm. as teachers, we need to establish a learning culture. We need to seed learners curiosity. We need to develop the learning relationships within our cohort, if it's cohort based provision, such that we can capitalize on um, what people, uh, the relationships, and we can capitalize them for independent learning. That's independent of the teacher, of course. We need to check for any barriers to independence and mitigate those as fully as possible. And then content can start to be working its magic in whatever form you want to deliver that. Project management is one thing we need to be aware of and also to be developing in our learners, their project management skills to take their own learning forward. And a key component of that, of course, is being able to think critically about the work you're doing and, of course, the work that you're looking at in terms of the wider uh, context. And then comes these wonderful bits of recognition. We need to be able to really recognize endeavor. Praise is a bad thing. I, I really not into praise. In fact, just before I left Ofsted, the final film I was making in Ofsted's film unit was on the overuse of praise in art and design. Because if you praise a learner and the learner sort of thinks you're just buttering me up, the whole of your relationship can just cl- collapse because yeah. they think you're not being honest with me. Whereas when you reward endeavor, really recognize endeavor, uh, then that's objective. Uh, there's no, none of that subjectivity in there. It, it, it means they feel it's evidential reward. It's evidential. It's- and then that, of course, leads you on to the next steps at the end. So, so this is a teaching process map that could be used for a whole program of study, but also for a whole lesson. We need a learning culture, seed curiosity, you capitalize in relationships, building the barriers to independence or take them out rather and then get to content. So it could be equally well a whole lesson. Yeah. But it could happen in any order because we need to make them curious at any time. The learning culture needs to happen at any time. Recognition needs to happen at any time. And this is why it's called a map rather than, you know, like Gagne's nine levels of learning. And he says you have to do things in a certain order. I, I don't I don't subscribe to that. But here's the thing, while teachers do stuff, learners go on an emotional learning journey. Mm. But are they linked? So for instance, we need, um, they need to have a reason to learn at the start of their program or lesson. So we're talking a, a program study or an individual lesson. They need to feel curious. They need to feel socially assimilated and they need to feel a sense of preparedness, Mm -hmm. that wonderful feeling that I feel prepared for this lesson, for what's happening next. Mm -hmm. And rather than saying delivering content, having the word discovery for this emotional heading, this emotional element, discovery is a wonderful emotion, the sense that you're excited about discoveries. And of course, for that, we need some risk taking in there. And then that will lead on to self-actualization and flow ultimately. 
Mm. The thing about these emotional learning headings is they're just headings to describe two emotional states. Mm -hmm. And this is back to my tech nut and tech nervous that I was talking about earlier on. So can you imagine that learner? And actually, when I talk to people about about these two extremes, they often say, as soon as I started to talk about them, I had a learner in mind who it was. So think of that learner who comes along and they're mad curious. They're mad for the program. They're just craving the learning. And they're welcoming of new friendships and they have this expectant seedbed inside them that is their preparedness. Mm. And they're excited by discoveries, all of these wonderful adjectives that describe the very experienced learner or rather a learner who's just very excited about what's going to happen. But we have to say, is that anything to do with what the teachers do? So for instance, if you take like a level three dance student or level three footballer, just as some very cliched examples, can you imagine the craving that they've got when they start the program? But is that anything to do with the learning culture that's been established by the staff? Well, it's probably much more to do with the fact that they've been playing football or dancing since the age of three. Mm. It's probably nothing to do with us, that emotional learning journey. And then if we switch from that positive side to the the challenging side. Mm -hmm. Have you got one of those learners in mind, if I say the words disengaged or full of self doubt, they're overwhelmed by what they don't know, and they fear exclusion. And so ironically, they're the ones most likely to exclude themselves from a social grouping. So then you end up with cliques and loners in your cohort. They, they can feel daunted and anxious and confused and hit cognitive overload, you know, the barriers just Mm. flush up when it suddenly starts to get too hard and then fear failure, et cetera, et cetera. Again, is that anything to do with the teaching process map or is that just the type of person they are? And so here's the punchline to all of this, which is what I've been working to. I hope you've (laughs) And that is that, well, we don't need an adversarial nature in terms of learning theory. If you say every learning theory has its place, And so this is the title of the work I've been getting thrilled about this year, a unified theory of learning. Mm. So what what the idea is, is we as teachers and on our teaching process map have to choose the right strategy, the right learning theory to either produce the positive emotional experience Mm. or to overcome the challenging. Mm-hmm. And what that game does, the top trumps game, is it has separate scores for different scenarios for either producing the positive or overcoming the challenging. And what people see through playing this game is that if you've got, if you're trying to overcome disengagement right at the bottom, that self-doubt, it might be a behaviorist approach that, that wins you the day on that. But if you're trying to produce the craving in someone who's already pretty positive, then it might be a social constructivist approach that you need. And so what the the, the team of researchers did for me uh, to produce the 50 cards that the game is based on is we wanted stereotypical examples of Mm -hmm. behaviorism and cognitive and social constructivism and connectivism. So I know the the boundaries blur a lot between these learning theories, but we wanted stereotypical ones so that people were really getting under the skin of what each of these theories were. Because obviously I'm supposed to be teaching someone on a teaching qualification and they will have an assignment to write about this. But this session goes way beyond that, uh, the idea that it's just training for for a teaching qualification. It's about really saying, we do stuff, 
and it makes a difference. Can we really produce the difference that we want by considering first and foremost the emotional journey a learner is on yeah. and, and make our decisions such that we're trying to get that emotional spirit right and then content can work its magic. We know that in all sorts of ways, but we can't do any of that if they're full of self-doubt and hate cognitive overload. It's just, you know, it's game over if, if that's where they hit. So it's been a thrill, really, this year, working on all of this stuff. And I'm still, you know, badly working on it now. It's so interesting, actually, Tony. I just, I'm going to go, I'm just going to work through some of the things that I can see and and um, those that are not watching the video. Um, just want to pick up on a few of those things that I, I've been having conversations about today, actually, but very commonly over the last 18 months, if not, you know, the last five, seven years have been involved in quality improvement so um something i always talk about is learning culture and um i think i think it there's not a there's not a magic answer is there but there is i'm i'm really interested in positive psychology and even that element of recognition that you've got in there as well as you said there's it's not about praise particularly um i love the the idea of um, recognizing um, particular efforts and behaviors and attitudes that learners have towards things and helping them to navigate what their mindset is towards learning and what the barriers are. And I think um, you're absolutely right in that when there is a negative sort of emotional um, learning state, it's often about overwhelm or self-doubt and the as you said I love how you phrased that that overwhelm with what they don't know um and sometimes you get the overwhelm of what they're what they are being taught so it's hard and so they, they go into panic mode but I think um the other things that resonate with me is that is about learning relationships and I think first and foremost I love how content is kind of just one of the little bits in there you know one of the um nine things you say there was nine yeah, yeah, um, yeah. nine things um because content is just one piece of that puzzle and yes we need to make sure that whether it you know it aligns with the qualification but it's bigger than that it's always bigger than that it's about the bigger vision and the bigger picture of how this content fits with industry or the world or you know and and actually linking to that emotional learning elements um side of the diagram where at the bottom you've got reasons to learn that's a biggie in for me in terms of all the conversations I'm having at the minute are about making sure that staff and students know the why related to anything that they're doing whether it be staff and a process that we've got in place or whether it be students and the inclusion of maths and English in the curriculum for example if people don't understand the why but it's not why because Ofsted so say so and it's not why because we think it's a good idea there's always just a bigger picture about the why and for me it's about ambitious vision for learners so one of the things I think that commonly happens um, is that we get we sort of have all these processes in place um, as she said you you call it uh, the teaching process element some people if you ask people what are the teaching process elements they would write you a list of all the things that they have to do 
um, on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis. And we get lost in the systems and the processes and we forget the why. And I think it's really important that we have the why. Um, uh, So I love all of that. And um, like you say, the content is just one bit of it, but having been able I like it I love that it's a map like you call it a map and it's because you don't have to go this then this then this then this it's kind of you think about all of those things um and how they play a part in the learning journey and learning learning sort of emotional learning journey um because you know, one, of the, one of the things so, so, so the, no the, it's okay why why I ended up with the, the map was yeah. um, if I go back to Gagne for a moment and his mm-hmm. nine levels of learning Level two, I think it's level two, is you must state your aims and objectives on the board. And in some organizations I go into when, when I'm doing some observation work or quality work with them, and they insist that the learning outcomes are not just stated at the opening of the lesson, but they're on a flip chart or on a whiteboard, so they can be seen throughout the lesson. You have to start to think, well, if it's a formulaic open to a se- opening to a session, uh, is this actually a strategy for encouraging poor punctuality because if it's a formulaic opening to the lesson then it doesn't really matter whether you miss it because the learning outcomes will be on the board anyway and and i i just i'm fundamentally it's anathema to me that you should state your learns aims and objectives at the start and and that's that's such an incendiary thing to say when you're training teachers uh, because everyone's taught in you know Gagne's way. In fact, Ofsted, you know, I'm sure uh, in the EIF you can hear Gagne coming through. It's, I'll, I'll mention some bits about assessment in a second as well. But what you were saying about it's not just what teachers do; it's it's about um, it's about something else. Mm. It, it, it brings the I, I, I love to bring the whole of pedagogy, the whole of our art form, down to two words, and and these are my favourite two words of all of the stuff I do. I, I'm basically mad passionate about pedagogy and mad passionate about self-assessment and quality, mm. and the two words are stuff and difference. So we do stuff and it makes a difference, which is the most important. And when I say that to delegates, you know, no one hesitates to say, well, it's difference. And then I say, well, which does your quality system focus most on, stuff or difference? And it's on stuff. (laughs) And you'll see people's teaching observation forms, you know, did they have a scheme of work? Did they have a lesson plan? Did they introduce the aims and objectives of the lesson? Can they reverse around a corner? Can they do an emergency (laughs) stop? You know, did a driving test ever produce outstanding drivers? It doesn't. It produces adequacy. It doesn't produce transformational, unmissable learning. (laughs) If you suddenly focus on difference instead of stuff and say, how do I want my learner to be different five or 10 minutes into the lesson? Lay that down on a piece of paper, say what emotional learning state you want that learner to be in. And then you get people saying things like, well, I I want them to be curious. In fact, I'll often slump on a chair and say, you know, direct me. How would you like me to sit to represent how you've got me after five minutes of your lesson? And it's that leaning forward and, and making someone curious. In fact, there's a little routine I do. I won't do it now because it, it, <laughs> it won't work so much on camera. But basically, you get people. I, I have something I say that makes cure, people curious. And they, they go like that. And they go like that as well. They lengthen yeah. their neck and they twist to the side. They half furrow the brow. They half smile. And we, we've got a name for it. We call it the meerkat moment. So imagine writing that on your lesson plan that five minutes into the lesson, I want all my learners meerkatting. 
So what is it you're going to do to open the lesson if you want to get them on the edge of the seat and get them, you know, really grip their imagination so they're excited about the discoveries that are going to come? Well, is stating your aims and objectives in a bureaucratic way and writing it laboriously onto the flip chart, is that how it, it, you're going to capture and create this meerkat moment? Mm -hmm. Of course it isn't. That's just stuff. And, and actually, there is some, when we get into learning outcome writing, there are three types of learning outcome. And, and one of them, if you actually share the learning outcome with learners, it might be the very thing that stops you achieving it. So we want the learners to be different cognitively by the end of the lesson or physically. They can do some fine or gross motor skills that you couldn't do at the start. Mm. Or we want them to have an attitudinal change. And I've got another visualization that I use a lot for this, which is called the walk across the carpet. So learners come into your classroom at one side of the carpet and when they leave, they have to be different people. They have to walk out that room with a, a, a significant difference to when they came in. And that difference, of course, is the difference, the impact, not the stuff. And if we can fixate on how we want them to be different, then that's what the learning outcome should ideally be capturing. So often though, learning outcomes are just a list of stuff they're going to do in the session rather than how they're going to be different. Well, if you want them to have an attitudinal change, let's say British values has been a very topical attitudinal change, but it could be something like doing primary research. A lot of learners don't like doing primary research. So you might want to change their attitude to doing primary research. If you set up a learning outcome and say, right, in this session, I'm going to change your attitude to doing primary research. <laughs> I'm going to make you hate terrorism by the end of this lesson. I'm going to tell you it's wrong and then you're going to believe me. Well, of course, there's a strong chance that the minority we're after might just, you know, be, de be devil and, and, and just go the opposite way. In fact, I was once, sorry, this is a bit of a side. I was once asked to speak at a conference, this is a few years ago now, and the people who were booking me knew what I was interested in. And uh, when we sorted the date out and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, really keen to come and speak at your conference. Thank you for inviting me, all of that. I said, and what do you want me to speak about? And they said, prevent. I said, you're kidding me. I'm not interested in prevents. Sorry, but he said, no, no, we think you'll be just right for it, Tony. Do, you know, have a good think about it. I said, oh, crumbs, prevent. I hate prevent. I hate prevent because it's a wrong word. And, and then I, that sort of gave me the in to the session. And I, I called it something like um, beware of alliterative acronyms. Why prevent is the wrong title? Because it's only a prevent because it's a P and it's the four P's. It should be enable. We need to enable our learners to make the right decisions when they're in a challenge, challenging situation rather than prevent, because prevent is telling someone they can't do something. So actually, the speech, as, it, as, as much as speech it was, was a sociological experiment. There was about 120, 140 in this theatre, raped theatre. And I, I, I tell you, I was, <laughs> it was definitely a risky lesson. I split them into two and one half were the control, one half of the test group. Of course, they didn't know. And I asked for five volunteers from each group and they were the teachers and the rest of the audience were learners. Mm -hmm. So I very quickly introduced the teachers to what they had to do. And simply, they, they, I gave them a piece of paper and it had four colours on them. And none of the colours were particularly nice colours. Mm -hmm. And there was this one dirty, purpley, plummy colour that wasn't very nice at all. And, uh, and the, the control group, the learners had to come to the front and just be shown the four colours and pick the favourite. That was it. And then the, in the test group, they had to subtly say to the, the learner, don't pick the purpley one because it's not very nice in whatever way they wanted. But it, it was a very <laughs> subtle um, instruction. 
And then when we looked at the results, 20% of the test group chose the awful purple. And when we said, why, why did you choose it? And they said, because we were told not to, <laughs> you know, and this is prevent, you know, oh, crumbs, you know, it's just, it's so frustrating is prevent, but prevent is about an attitudinal change. Yeah. How can we create an attitudinal change? And this is the walk across the carpet. Mm -hmm. So you can't set your learning outcome if it's an attitudinal change. You can't tell people that's what you want. You have to just design your lesson to try and fulfill your, your aim and then, you know, use your assessment strategies to try and get there. Uh, but I'm, I, I do all my lessons in all sorts of ways. Sometimes I don't share any of the learning outcomes. Sometimes the learning outcomes arrive through a set of activities. Uh, sometimes I might start off and boldly state them, but I'm free to make that choice. Whereas Gagne says, you've got to do it. And I'm not, I'm not interested in that, that way of prescribing stuff. No, and we'll, and you mentioned um, talking about assessment, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute because uh, that's another thing that always crops up um, yeah. the, the conversation about assessment. But um, it is interesting, isn't it? And I think it, it always has to be about what difference do you want to make, and how. And then wouldn't it just be lovely that every week in our teams we talk about and how do we make that difference through pedagogy? How do we? Uh, because instead of focusing on well, what do we do with our schemes of learning and what do we do with our learning outcomes? Or, And there are some processes that are useful, like we've forgotten why they're useful. We're just told that we have to do them. Um, and then staff, you know, feedback, well, we don't know why and why we've got to do all this work and what about this? And actually just raising it up again to that vision around, you know, what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to do? And um, I use excellence a lot as a, as a word. It's a word that I just quite like because it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean offset outstanding. It's just, what do we, what are we trying to do that, you know, promotes excellence, whether it be excellence in our teams and performance or whether it be excellence with our students. And, and really it summarizes how do we do the very best that we possibly can um, all with that aim of making a difference. Um, but wouldn't it just be lovely if we just, we constantly talked about difference and the difference we want to make and not the stuff yeah. because yeah. ultimately, and that is what I'm seeing in a lot of places and a lot of conversations that I'm having is we're just doing all this stuff yeah. and it's just overwhelming and, and, I just feel really passionate that we've got so many people in education who are so passionate about what they do, but we constantly forget the why and we constantly forget the difference that we're making. But we only have to look at um, those who are deemed, you know, our best teachers. Um, they're always the ones making the difference. They're always the ones making the difference. So, do you know, in, in, in one of the, the pieces of work I'm heavily involved is it's called the red system and um, it's my replacement for a traditional ob observation system okay and if i wind back one quick step before um saying about concentrating on stuff mm. uh, rather rather than concentrating on difference um a lot of people think the polarity in observation systems is graded or ungraded mm. and, and there was a sweet there was a movement to take about five years four or five years ago to take grades off. But and, uh, when people experimented with it, 
suddenly the grades had come back on again after a couple of years they'd come back on because governors would say well how do you know how, what the quality is or the offset would be coming in and they go oh you know let's, let's bring grades back we need to be able to say what the quality is yeah. but it's not about graded or ungraded it's about accountability or learning that's the polarity of the systems is accountability system or a learning based system and an accountability system every time i've looked at research on this um, basically, it doesn't work on the 20% of staff who are having the least impact on learners. They'll just go into denial and say, you're wrong. Or there'll be an excuse why that lesson you graded yeah. as a three or a four was, was graded, was, went like that. It wasn't normal. It was, you just didn't see me at my normal. Or you left before you saw yeah. the punchlines. There'll be a denial of reason. And sometimes that might be a, a very legitimate denial as mm -hmm. well. But a learning-based system is completely different. And, and people, when they're taking grades off, they, they think they've gone graded, gradeless, but they haven't. There's still accountability. And, and the, the acid test is, I mean, some people go to, oh, we don't grade anymore. We have colours instead. Um, and, <laughs> or, or we don't grade anymore. But if, if um, someone gets a more weaknesses than strengths, then we'll support them in inverted commas with, with uh, coaching and mentoring. Basically, if you do anything for one group and not the other, then then you're grading. And if, if someone feels like they're subject to some support mm -hmm. as a result of their observations, they know they've not done well. Yeah. And, and that will just keep the denial there and all of the, the same driving tests symptoms. You know, it feels like an offset. It feels like a test. Whereas if everybody has to do something as a result of the observation, mm. then actually that's different. And there's, there's a few things about red that really are very exciting to watch. And red, by the way, um, is an important title for, for this observation system. And I often ask people, what do you call your observation system? And they go, well, it's an observation system. <laughs> it's our walkthroughs or, you know, it's our drop-ins. Yeah. Um, but if you have anything to do with the process, the stuff in yeah. the title, then it will be about stuff in people's minds. And so RED actually stands for Research into Education and Development. Mm -hmm. And so it's about research. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. And so everybody, after they've had their first RED um, session, which is called the Creative Learning Team Day, mm -hmm. that everybody designs a research lesson. A research lesson is one where it might go wrong. And, and here comes a really important bit about um, getting those 20% of staff, those, those staff you, you were referring to as, as not having a great impact on, on learning, mm. you know, they're not like your safe, good staff. It's about getting them and everybody else to take a risk and go, do you know what, this might fail. But in order for that to happen, it, the link to capability is absolutely crucial. If you don't get the link to capability right, then people won't take the risk that they really need to take. And, and if it fails, if it, if it could set them on the slippery slope to, to capability, then they, they'll just be risk averse. Yeah. In fact, I, 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 I'm sure you're an observer as well. Have you ever observed the same lesson two years running? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, just to just to um, tell you about a very recent um, it, it's that I went in into a lesson and um, they start what they're doing and did a quiz. I'm not laughing at that person. I'm just laughing because these are the systems that we've created. Yeah. Yeah. That means that person felt like I walked in so they stopped the group literally right okay just stop what you're doing we're going to do a quiz 
Yeah. Do you know, I, I was an ACL learner on a script writing course uh, a couple of years ago. And the, day, the week before half term, the lesson before half term, he was supposed to be observed. So he's got a dynamite lesson lined up for, <laughs> for half term. And then the, he said, oh, the, the observer can't come. He's coming the week after half term. So I'm saving that lesson for the week <laughs> after. So he then mucks the order up of all his lessons just so he could have his good one to be observed on, you know, for goodness sake. No, and it's, um, it's so hard to... Um, make I, you know I've, I understand it as it's making people feel safe yeah that we know what the quality of teaching and learning is like that is not observation based as in a grade or a color it's more about this sort of I know um I love that you said meerkat moment before because I actually use meerkat moment like the phrase um oh. but talking about between teams so curriculum oh. areas often don't work very well together as you know they're all in their own little teams and I try to create meerkat moments across the college um yeah. by getting people to feedback on what's working and what's not working but across yeah. across the college and you get what are they up to over there you know type stuff so yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that but um yeah that you know that um it's just so interesting in terms of how we can just really support people that's not a color but that it showed you I think you used the phrase around uh, it might be quality indicators or quality flags and um, I um, use that sort of that what are the dashboard what's the dashboard of stuff what's on the what's the, what's the stuff on the dashboard that gives you information about the quality of education or the quality of teaching and learning and let's talk about that critically um, so when we do walkthroughs you know it's about it's going into to have like that critical reflection of just what are we noticing what's going on um it's not about going in and making a judgment and it's just what are all the spaces what are all the places that we can just go is that you know um promoting real high levels of engagement motivation helping learners to take ownership of their own learning and it's all those types of questions that I think if we ask those things but you know yes capture stuff capture the some of the indicators that tells us whether something is working or not working but have the critical conversations about that and the critical reflection about that we don't need the grade or the color but people don't always feel safe about being able to take that suite of information well let, let me but let me just, it is doable isn't it let me just ask you a well, question as an observer have you ever done peer observing where you've observed the observer yes to try and judge the quality of the observation <laughs> yeah, yeah well as an inspector that was part of what we would do you know the Ofsted We'd have, I'd have my badge on and I'd go and follow an observer around. Yeah. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I, I found if I wasn't extraordinarily neutral with my eyebrows and my body and my smile, I could send them up or down a grade. You know, because have you ever been on a cusp? Is it a grade one or a grade two? Is it a grade two or a grade three? Is it grade three or a grade four? All of these cusps are massive. Yeah. Arguably, three and four is the least massive, but but every all of them are big, great, big, big cusps. Yeah. And and uh, if I you know raise an eyebrow just wrong <laughs> when they're feeding back, they'll go up or down a grade. That's how flaky grades are. They're just really poor. But the red system is data rich. Yeah. And and just before I tell you how we get data out of it, let me just tell you that linked capability, and it's this. 
every teacher should wholeheartedly embrace the evaluation of the impact of their learning mm. their lesson on learning if they're not prepared to evaluate that or they're not capable of evaluating it then that's the trigger for capability yeah. in other words a lesson can bomb as long as we learn from it then yeah. who cares as mm -hmm. people have been risk taking and let's face it whenever you're going to try something new is it going to go right first time it's not is it it's just mm -hmm. isn't it's going to no. take at least two or three goals i think jeff petty might even say 27 or something like that i think you might be talking about mastery but basically we're all on the same page if you're taking a risk it might not work first time if you drop get dropped on for an observation you shouldn't care and actually in the red system there's no dropping on anyway it's all controlled by the teacher but the the data that comes out of it is, is fascinating it's a data rich system and actually it's a judgment rich system as well but there's no feedback there's nobody is allowed to feedback in the red system it's only the teacher can feedback on their work yeah. they're the ones who've got to evaluate it and actually you mentioned something about the observing you were just talking about then about you do capture stuff and you, you also capture difference and and absolutely that's in the red system as well in fact when when i used to be a full-time lead inspector one of our jobs as leads um was to very quickly on day one of the inspection get hold of everybody's evidence forms all your associate inspectors you know have we got anyone who's going off on one and <laughs> read through their forms and think can I get a balance of what's going on? Do I know it's a hair and beauty lesson? And I do I know what quality it is? Because yeah. some would just write about the stuff and some would just write about difference. You wouldn't know what lesson it was. Yeah. And so later on, when I joined the good practice team, we had to, to train people, train the, the associates how to write these forms. Mm. And actually, I, I developed a really simple addition to, to the form that we use as inspectors. And I still use it today. In fact, I wouldn't do an observation without this now. And it's part of my red system. And basically, an, an, an inspection form used to be, I don't know what they, they look like now, it was just a blank sheet of paper. We don't want any preconceived ideas about how that lesson should, should be going. We don't want to be reading boxes and ticking off. It's not an audit, it's an evaluation of difference made. But if you, if you draw a line down the middle of the A4 piece of paper and say, write the stuff in the left-hand column mm. and the difference it makes in the right-hand column. But here's the big, the, the, you, there's a big punchline here. The, the earth's <laughs> going to move when I say this punchline or not. But it is massive, is this punchline. That is, you write some stuff about what you're seeing. That might be what the teacher's saying or doing, what the learners are saying or doing. You might even put a timestamp in there. And then you rule a line across that, the page, right across the page. And that line is crucial. So what it, what it ends up is if you only write about stuff, you'll have got a load of empty boxes on the right hand side yeah. and you're formatting the lesson in the chronology of what you're seeing and creating all these empty boxes. In other words, you haven't said what difference this lesson has made to learning. Yeah. So you have to be trying to judge all of the time. The teacher did that. What difference do I think it made? Do I think it, it made? Because yeah. it's your perception. Because inspectors aren't, aren't gods. They're not necessarily right. They're just saying what they see from yeah. their perspective. Yeah. But of course, when, they, when you've got your badge on, you have to pretend you are right all of the time. But what the real important is, thing is, is when we're doing an observation, and, and in red, the Creative Learning Team Day has four teachers working together all day, plus the Creative Learning Team leader. So there's always four observers in the back of the lesson um, watching the teacher, and then the roles swap all day. Yeah. So as immediately after the, the teacher has come out of their lesson, they have to sit for 15 minutes and complete their own version of that form with the line down the middle and the lines that they draw across. 
And then when they come into the evaluative conversation, there's some real magic happens. And I've, I've tried the opening question in all sorts of ways. I'm sure you know the car crash observers question, which is, how do you think it went? <laughs> yeah. Which of course immediately gets staff to talk about stuff rather than difference. Yeah. And if you think, well, it made no difference in that lesson, but they're going, well, everything I planned to do, I did, you know, it, was, yeah. it worked very well with that lesson. So you, you're onto a conflict straight away. But when they come in, I found the best opening line is when they come into the observation and join this conversation where we're all replaying the video of that lesson in our minds, mm. the, the creative learning team leader, which is, is usually me in the first instance, but, but then obviously we capacity build staff to do that. The, the creative learning team leader just says, I'm mad curious to know what you've written on your form. And then the teacher just goes through everything that they've analyzed, what they did and the difference it made. And those ruled lines, those empty boxes, well, they can't have empty boxes. They have to say what difference they feel it made. So they are judging impact all of the time. And then all we're allowed to do is present scenarios or ask questions. So, because we are, we have got eyes in the back of their head. We will see things that their teacher probably won't. And so we'll say at 11.30, this is what I saw. What do you reckon? Yeah. It's up to the teacher to make the evaluation. But yeah. there's something magical that happens apart from all of that self-evaluation stuff that the person who's on does. And, and it's something that, um, I, I, that, that isn't present in, in a new sexy observation system that, that, that we're all hearing about at the moment. It's called unseen observations. I'm sure you will have heard about it. What's magic about unseen observations is it's about the teacher doing that evaluation. And, and there we're, we're, we're absolutely in agreement because that's what happens in red as well. But, but whilst that is wonderful, it's, it's not where most of the magic happens. A lot of the magic happens when you're actually an observer and you have to do a few things in that session. Um, at the end of the day, if I jump, jump to the end and then it was put into context what they have to do in the session, at the, at the end of the day, they have to fill out two forms. In actual fact, it's two of each of these two forms. Mm. One of the forms is, what negative missing or unintended impacts do I want to try and overcome? Mm. They're, they're three really carefully cho chosen words. You have negative, missing or unintended impact on your learning. So mm -hmm. you've reflected on the lesson and you've got to choose two of those to take forward into your research lesson. Mm. The other thing you've got to put the other form is when you were watching other people's lesson, what impact did they have that you'd like to steal? Can you see we're still focused on difference and not stuff? Yeah. Now, it might be that they can steal the way that the, the hair and beauty person did the curiosity opening, but if they're motor vehicle, it might not work at all. But the, the making them curious might be the bit you want to steal. And so they have to fill in two steals as well. But here's the thing that, that I find most exciting, or one of the things I find exciting, is when a teacher is in observation, in observer role, watching another teacher, they, have, they often have what we call the slapped head moments. Do you know what I mean? When <laughs> they go, oh, do you know what? I do that. And I, now I can see it. They can't see it in their own work, but as soon yeah. as you start watching it, you see it just differently. And so they might be what? It might be the slapped head moments that they, they want to use as, as the inciting incident for their research lesson. So they go away with four things they want to work on. I mean, lots go away with many more, but it's a minimum of four. And what four things do is they give us our first swipe of data. Because I said it's a data rich system is this. So then they spend a few weeks designing a research lesson. 
then they sit down with an observer and say, yeah, can I just tell you what I'm planning to do in this research lesson? Mm -hmm. and, and then the act of talking it through, they'll often have some other ideas about they haven't thought about differentiation or their assessment strategies are a little stale, a little bit unimaginative. And so they'll, they'll themselves get excited about how they're going to get it right. And then they'll say, can you come and help me observe it next Thursday or whenever it might be? And so they're inviting an observer to go back and observe the lesson. Now, at the end of that, did they feel that the two issues and the two steals were one, overcome, two, put in place? And if they are, and again, it's the teacher's evaluation, uh, helped and assisted by, by an observer, then we've got our second swipe of data. So we can now see a trajectory in the data. We can now tell the governors teaching and learning is this good and it's improving we found a hundred issues and now we've resolved 50 of them so then and, and we've also got 20 items of pedagogy that weren't in the college before but have come through the research activities of, of the red system and so it's a really data rich system that, that gives everybody confidence about the trajectory that teaching and learning is on but it's a learning based system there's no accountability it's not one group of staff are having to do this it's everybody is in there yeah. And then, then this wonderful thing happens. Quality moves from people like us to the staff room. And it's the staff room conversations where quality really starts to get uh, exciting and move people forward. And that's the bit at the minute I'm just super passionate about. And as I said before, wouldn't it be great if um, we were sat talking about what difference do we want to make every week yeah. in our team meetings? And I'm encouraging um teams to repurpose their team time you know so it's not team meeting anymore it's team time and you know it's very precious time is, yeah. so how do we you know the questions are how do we make the most difference how do we make the most impact with the time that we've got as a team so the curriculum managers that i'm working with that's you know i pitch it to them in that way so you know repurpose that time any information give it giving just Give it in a different way. Do, do you one important email a week, not 300 emails? And, you know, think about how do we give information, but then how do we spend the time together, really focusing on the things that are going to have the biggest impact? Um, and where you've got um, those questions and, and getting people reflected, I've also felt that if you ask the right questions, and I don't mean there's a right or a wrong, I just mean if you ask, maybe a better way to say it would be if you ask magic questions, or really powerful reflective questions in the right space at the right time there is so much magic that people come out with around making a difference how do they want learners to feel in lessons and like you say then you can look at well this is what I usually do or have done before and then this is what I'm going to take forwards and this is how I'm going to try this other stuff um and I, I think similarly um along the same lines the work that i do with observers is talk is rather than people will say well what what should i co comment on what you know what are the things and I, i've been doing some work recently with very new observers and and they you know that you can see them looking well what would you say about that lesson and i say well what what learning has taken place and and how do you know um and you can just see the cogs were in for quite a lot, a lot, a long time. And it's similar to that, what happened and what difference did it make? Mm -hmm. Because if we think about what learning has taken place and how do you know, then it's just a different lens to look at, well, right, what judgments do, 
can we write down in this moment in time? So again, it's about creating that that space, isn't it, for critical discussion? Mm. Um, but like you said, I, I think all of the work that I've been doing recently is very much of how do I move quality improvement focus from me to to teams to quality uh, to curriculum teams and um, having that sort of meaningful useful um, conversation about pedagogy about practice and what's working um, what can we do differently how do we make the difference how do we want them to feel all of those things is actually um, causing lots of light bulb moments actually in in in, within teams especially after this last 18 months because there's now that whole massive thing that we've navigated and, you know we're not totally out of the woods because there's teams um having to go online you know because a whole number of staff are, are, have gone off ill altogether yeah. but it's about um we've got all of that now to reflect upon as well and the the richness in that conversation and the richness in like you say collecting information indicators that help to show where we've come from and where we're moving to in terms of quality is is there to be had isn't it it's there to be had yeah, but I'll, I'll add one thing to your your uh, point about asking just the right question and um, almost as important if not more important than than getting the question or presenting the scenario just right is is getting the right tone of voice and, and, and if you can ask the same question in two different tones of voice, you can either put up a barrier or dismantle oh, the barrier. And that genuine, I think you mentioned it earlier, that genuine, you're just genuinely curious. You want to know what they think about it. Mm. And if, if that, when I'm doing observation training, I, that's the, the main thing. When someone's struggling on how to have film various lessons and, and we use these films to, to run the, the evaluative conversations. And when someone's really struggling to try and put it into words without it being leading, without it being feedback, mm. um, I said, just be genuinely interested to find out what they think. Yeah. And if they are genuinely interested, then you'll ask it in the right way and it will just pop out. And that, that staff room conversation bit, it, it, the, the first time we did a red, I'm sorry, keep harking back about red, but we, we did this creative learning team day. It's over at a place called Workforce Training in Northern Ireland in Belfast. Okay. And they're right in the Falls Road. They've got uh, learners from both sides of the sectarian divide. It's a melting pot. It's people who, who were neat or didn't get into college. It's that oh. type of provider. It's an absolutely wonderful provider, but oh. very challenging. And, and I was asked to go and do a couple of days uh, of observing. And it, they were the first provider who, uh, I, 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 who allowed me to arm twist them to let me do these creative learning team days. So it's, we're all thinking, is this going to work? <laughs> day one, first one, this guy's doing a session on CV writing and interview preparation. Oh my Can goodness. You, you know, we've all seen that lesson, haven't we? A million times done so boringly. And, <laughs> and he, he opened up the lesson. All the lads sort of walked in and they were all you know you know if you were being stereotypical about it you can imagine the type of crew they were and all of the people on the creative learning team all taught this same group and they were the sort that would ruin your sunday night if you had <laughs> and they all bustled in i was going to say muscled in and uh, it just said to them drop your bags take your coats off and uh, go and wash your hands and they suddenly all froze and stopped and said, well, we've got to wash our hands for. So 
just like, just drop your bags, put your take your coats off and go and wash your hands in the sink over there. So they're all sort of mumbling to each other as they're going out and they took it in turns, they all washed their hands, came back. And then in the, in the, in the evaluative conversation later, um, the, the other teachers said, we had never seen what happened next. And that was, they all sat and looked at the teacher and were silent. And he just got them. All he'd said was, wash your hands. <laughs> And then he, he proceeded to sort of unveil the things he'd got in his room, which were all covered up. And, and bear in mind the stereotypical image I've painted of these learners, these lads, they were all lads. Um, he took one tablecloth off uh, that was covering something underneath and it was, he revealed a load of gingerbread men and, uh, and, and icing bags and things. So, and he did, took the other one off and they were all butterfly buns and there was buttercream there. He split them into two teams and it was going to be an apprentice, sort of a version of the apprentice. One team is going to be competing, making um, icing gingerbread men and one's going to be making butterfly buns. And, and then they were filmed, interviewed be on film, they were doing self-reflection on each other's interview. And this was all in an hour. It was amazing wow. what he got through. But the punchline for all of this is um, that those four colleagues, three, three colleagues, mm. all were telling everybody else in the organization about how amazing this guy's lesson was. And then I wrote my report and talked about meerkat moments and what have you in my report. Though, to be honest, I don't think it was my report that really added anything. It was the staff room conversation. So a few, well, we were just, I was supposed to go about three months later to do the next set of staff. And after a couple of weeks, the, the guy, Paul, phoned up and said, yeah, Tony, can you get in and do the next two days? The others are chomping at the bit for their go. This is to be observed. I said, Paul, gosh, you know, we've, not, we've, we've nailed it. They're chomping at the bit to be observed. This is unheard of. But the, the great thing about those second two days, again, it's four a day, was six of those eight staff used curiosity opening strategies. Yeah. There'd been no staff development. There'd just been staff room conversation. Yeah. And that was because um, they all saw that this guy had an easier life because he'd made them curious. Yeah. And, and it's this, this is the, the root of all quality improvement is this uh, equation. It's the investment payoff equation. If staff invest in some new, new staff strategy, mm -hmm. there has to be a payoff for them, an easier life for them, better impact on learners. Yeah. If there's no payoff and they invested, then they're less likely to invest the next time. And this is the problem with FE, it gets initiative overload. You know, oh, they just so many. fast. Yeah. And we just have to stop that and say, what difference are we wanting? What stuff might we do to be able to get there? Did it get there? Investment yeah. payoff. Yeah. And they all saw that the payoff for this guy was colossal and they all wanted a bit of it. So <laughs> yeah. no cajoling them to try and investigate or research different pedagogy strategies. They were just in for it. They couldn't they're wait. They are ready for it, yeah. yeah. And that's, that. that's where quality is exciting. I love that. Tony, we could probably talk all night. So um, it's probably best if we say it's been amazing. Um, it's been great to talk to you and just talk about all sorts of, of things. If you were to, and I haven't prepped you on this, and I've not prepped myself, but if you were to say, like, give three things that people could go away, try or think about um, for this year, what would they be? To think about the two words, stuff and difference, yeah. and, and make stuff subservient to difference. Mm. If you can really lay out how you want learners to be different, that frees you up to be creative in how it, whatever it is you do yeah. to be able to produce that difference. 
So that's number one. Number two would be around self-assessment. The most creative part of anybody's day job is self-assessment. And, and where it goes wrong is people try to fix symptoms. So if you're trying to fix something in quality, you've got to say, so why is that then? Why is that happening? And you have to repeatedly say, so why is that then? Until you get to a root cause issue that you can own. Because fixing root cause issues is dead easy. Is not costly. It's, it's doable, very doable. But the rule is you can never fix a symptom. You can never fix a symptom directly. And if you try, you'll just introduce more bureaucracy and more things that blind yourself from actually uh, trying to uh, sort the problem. So, so why is that then is a fantastic question. So that's number two. Yeah. And number three would be to look at your understanding of assessment. And if you're to read the EIF from Ofsted, you might be forgiven for thinking their version of assessment is just summative. And for assessment has to be formative unless they're about to walk out the door at the end of your program or they're coming to an end of a unit that they're not going to come back to. Every other time it has to be formative. And, and for it to be formative, there has to be a next step. So if you put the words in in front of that, it helps you get fixated on what that might be. Informative assessment, it informs what's going to happen next. And I have a session called Assessment and the Art of Lazy Teaching, and it introduces staff to 50 different assessment strategies, none of which are about questioning, observation, discussion or feedback, none of which are about the teacher. They're all about the learner. So that's the other thing I'd say. Can you change the position of assessment in the phrase teaching, learning and assessment? Because mm -hmm. whenever it's TLA, it's teaching, they learn and then we need to assess them. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not where assessment should sit because then it becomes summative. So teaching and assessments impact on learning makes assessments into something different. So I'd, I'd highly commend to, to people for consideration looking at their lesson plan and thinking, am I just doing summative assessment over and over and over thinking it's formative yeah. or have I really tried to develop learners' ability to assess themselves? Yeah, so that that's number three. Thank you, Tony. I love all of those because um, they are three biggies um the middle one in particular for me I have a bee in my bonnet at the minute about quips and there's so much nonsense written in quips and that's not yeah. to rubbish what people are writing that's it it makes it very noisy and people end up with a hundred things that they're trying to do and I love that actually where you mentioned um difference versus pay, uh, investment versus payoff yeah. if you're going to do that thing is it actually going to get you any payoff yeah, and yeah. actually but before that looking at the area for development often they haven't got to the root cause yeah, um, yeah. and it's like and what, what is it about that that's not right so um, some of that I've been doing um very recently and I, and I love all of that work because I think I'm just really passionate that if you're going to write a quip it needs to make a difference yeah, yeah. don't do a hundred things that's going to make everybody feel overwhelmed that it's not going to have a payoff yeah. and and if we're not focused on the right things that are going to make the biggest difference then we've got no hope have we yeah. um and the third one I, I love that about assessment because um where I see practice having massive impact the students vet like very quickly know what their position is, what skills, knowledge, behaviors they are good or not so great at. And there's something in there as well about strengths-based approach to education. And maybe we can talk about that in the future, but um, it's something I'm really passionate about. And um, it's, you know, are we celebrating the students' strengths? 
can we move and staff can we move away from this deficit model of always thinking that we've got to improve people and can we actually celebrate their strengths that will help them to make a difference to themselves but where I go into lessons and I talk to students they know exactly where they've come from what they've learned over time and um, they can say what they're good at what they need to do next and, and the sort of journey that they're on and they are regularly peer assessing and and reflecting on their development they are the students that really take ownership of their development and their learning journey um compared to someone who's just doing quizzes over and over again not actually thinking about what that means or um and and students not really but they don't own it. They don't, they, they don't, they can't articulate what difference that's made to them. So yeah, I love both of those. So thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Um, take care and um, I'll speak to you again soon. Great stuff. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor. Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.